0: Hello, Sarah. <laughs> Hello, Alyssa. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> How are you doing since the last time we
1: talked? I'm doing well. And you? I'm doing pretty good. Wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Wonderfully? Are you doing wonderfully?
0: I, I am. Think I just answered that for you. <laughs> 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 How to be awkward, all in five seconds or less. That's <laughs> always a good intro. Oh. We're here at Sarah's Space once again. Yes, welcome to Sarah's Space. Thank you for having us, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very welcome. You are totally instrumental in being here so thank you so much oh absolutely (laughs) i'm so happy to be here vip access i feel (laughs) like i have this front row row. (laughs) that's right front row um yeah last time we got to know a bit more about you Mm -hmm. talked about your teaching Mm -hmm. practice Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. dare i use that word i know i was just gonna smile at that one well i am smiling at that one your teaching experience yes that was more my experience i would say um and so sort of a bit of my experience yeah. of your your teaching as which well which was
1: lovely to hear so thank you for sharing
0: mm. well thank you i'm so grateful that, to have you have had you as a teacher so uh thank you yeah i'll take whatever opportunity i can get <laughs> to let you know um I think I turned out pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I like to take full credit. Yes. <laughs> so, I say that to my parents whenever I can, right. whenever they're doubting it right in that moment. I think I turned yeah. out pretty good. Yeah. Um, and we were talking a bit about um, ways. Mm, I won't, I was going to say ways to hold space, but that's that's quite a... I think that word's going to come up a lot, and it's going to come up in these wonderful little
1: unintended fashions. So, mm-hmm. yes.
0: Ways to hold space, yes. Ways to hold space Mm. uh, for people to be themselves. Yes. And um, why is that important when you're learning about dance? Mm. Oh, my goodness.
1: For, I think, every single reason built into the very act of learning. Now, I'm sorry. Let's preface this by, do you want me to answer that in the terms of general dance or... Specifically ballet, or also encompassing contemporary, because I also teach that. Is what well. what what would you like me to answer? Because I'm more than willing to cover what you
0: ask. I thank you. I do VIP access. <laughs> I I do really think it's important to talk about it in terms of ballet because I um, I'm astounded so many other narratives of people's ballet training Mm -hmm. are very different to my experience of my ballet training with you right and so i think there's something quite specific there um because of the culture of ballet yes yeah do you want to speak to that a little bit yes
1: i do i will risk probably offending uh someone somewhere no doubt because ballet is a very sanctified Art form. It is uh, highly thought of, sought after, created in an elite, uh, what did my dad used to call it? Uh, oh, green, uh, not a greenhouse, hothouse. He said hothouse flowers, uh, which oftentimes is how it appears. It is also archaic really, it's it's becoming almost an ancient art form. The actual integrity of its beginnings is being ever so slightly lost a little bit more each year. I loved as a child classical ballet, the true classical ballet in the tutu, going on point at a young age, dancing, Swan Lake, Giselle, Sleeping Beauty. All, those three were the big ones for me, I, I must admit. And then many other ones stem from that. And I aspired to be a classical ballerina oh, uh, despite, and albeit, um, not with remotely the right appearance, uh, nor remotely the right uh, background. I, I wasn't raised in an urban environment. I didn't have access to highly competitive schools with uh, many pedagogues from, from different places with high influence. I... And that wasn't going to change. And I also didn't have an affluent family that could afford so much of what was being asked, which I must say is one tenth of what's being asked nowadays. One tenth. I mean, the fees and such, which seemed astronomical to my family and myself because I started paying as much as I possibly, because I was working at 14, I started paying as much as I could at 14. Mm. And it seemed like a lot, but now I look at it and I think it's a pittance in comparison. All of that to say that it's becoming this this unattainable again. And it, and it, it classically, technically speaking, it is an extremely exacting, taxing art form. It asks a great deal of completely unnatural things of the body. And unless your body comes out of the womb in a particular way, with a particular list of prerequisites, so to speak, which I will also put in brackets there, are quite often going to lead to ill health, um, injury, uh early wearing it's interesting a lot of the things that are desirous as far as the aesthetic of ballet goes are not healthy for the body as an athlete hmm. so that's a little interesting sidebar but all that to say i didn't have the right body type whatsoever uh muscularity at that time was an anathema to anyone in the dance world and i couldn't help but be muscular i remember one of my ballet teachers kindly and lovingly stroking my arm when i was about 14 and she's saying oh what happened here and- <laughs> I just looked down. I said, I, d- I don't know. And then I realized, oh, I, I, one of the things I did to help pay for classes as well was work on my one day off, which was Sundays, and I worked in a stable. And I, you know, mucked <laughs> stables. And apparently I was putting on some good old biceps there that were no longer pretty in a leotard. So,
0: oh, well. Um, no gun shows in the <laughs> ballet
1: world? <laughs> Ironically, all the things that have created this uh i I will actually say popularity of my look in my later years were everything that was wrong with me in my younger years Mm. so i'm i'm actually blessed again to say that i've lived long enough and been around long enough in the same uh area of life to experience that that renaissance where things come around and go around and then suddenly what you what was wrong before is so beautiful Hmm. Yeah, a lot. A lot of visual artists, of course, die before their time, and then their artwork becomes highly coveted. Yeah, that sort of thing. Not that I'm highly coveted. You heard it
0: here, people. (laughs) Highly
1: coveted. Oh my goodness! I retract all of that wording because that just (laughs) sounded wrong. Uh, So, back to the original question. I feel that at a young age, classical ballet spoke to me for two major reasons. And one of them is probably my innate nature that loves a challenge and loves doing something that is very difficult for me to do. And then the, the way I cannot say it in any other way, it grabbed my heart. There was something about strings. There was something about piano. There was something about moving my arm and my body in that way. Even though I now know and knew Well, pretty immediately that my body wasn't working in the way that my head felt Mm. or my heart felt it. It still spoke to me in a fashion that nothing else did. I tried athletics. I was more naturally athletic than I was balletic, but it just didn't speak to me in the same fashion. And modern dance, which was really the only other alternative at the time other than jazz, which spoke to me not at all. Modern dance left me cold. Physically, my body could do everything quite adeptly. Mm much more so than ballet, but I wasn't touched at all. So I thought to myself, hey, I'm going to continue doing this and I'm just going to keep striving and I'm just going to be dedicated and highly disciplined and self-motivated. And I guess all of those early conversations with myself and that early realization that my ballet teacher had the grace and the heart to let me to let me pursue that, all the while providing me with teaching opportunities to also nurture that part of me that was going to be able to make myself a living right away. And that she saw was a gift that I, that sh- that I could help her, but that she could help me by providing an avenue for me to hone it mm-hmm. as I was going. So when it came to me teaching ballet, I was particularly drawn to working with people that were quote unquote wrong. I say quote-unquote all the time because I realize I actually quote so many statements in my life because they, they emotionally resonate with me, and that was one that I've heard a lot. Uh, you know, oh, she's not cut out for this, or she's got all the wrong thing. You know, much of it was said to me or about me, and then I've heard it from many sources since then about various humans that I almost take this great pleasure in stealing my spine and thinking, I'll show you. And I think this, (laughs) I'm going to let this, this person who keeps showing up for my ballet class, when obviously it's a challenge for them as well, and it's not handing them bliss on a platter, they're getting something out of this. And who who has the right to take that away from them? No one. So what I'm going to do is challenge myself even further in finding a way to allow their body To be able to do these things that i love so much in a way that's a going to be healthy and b going to be possible and c going to allow them to feel how they own it so it truly is in their physicality and they are doing a classical plie in fifth position it's not modified or or made easy in some sort of dumbed down fashion i'm just explaining it to their body and their mind in a connected fashion so that they can feel it and thereby do it. And and I think that that, that just became my life's work. I, I genuinely, I've worked with some gifted, gifted ballet dancers and some creatures, I call them creatures, because they're they're those ones that popped out of the womb and all the parts are in the right place. And I'm not taking anything away from those moments that I had with them, which were in various arenas. But the fact that their body does it innately and naturally didn't always speak to their hearts. Mm-hmm. And quite often, my work with them would, would oh, I, I can countless times opening up an avenue for them to maybe see something else for themselves. And sometimes it was contemporary ballet. Sometimes it was contemporary. Sometimes it was academics. Mm-hmm. They realized, you know what, I'm doing this for my mom. I'm doing this for my my other teacher. I'm doing this because I do it so well and I look pretty. And everyone tells me that all the time. But I don't really like it. So I think that I just decided at a young age, well, it's ballet that I'm basically teaching. But I'm going to be teaching people how ballet can be, I guess, almost like a doorway to an aspect of themselves that they A, didn't know existed, or that they already knew existed, but that I will flush it out more. Or that it's something that perhaps they have put far away, like we do with things that frighten us or make us feel uncomfortable or make us feel strange. And in and becoming friends with it, they become more empowered and more loving towards themselves. So I think from a young age on, I saw it as a psychological exercise without ever putting it into those words. Mm. Because you're standing in a leotard and tights in classical ballet class. So those are pink tights and a leotard that cuts you off at mid hip. And in my day, tank leotards were the thing, hmm. which the name says it all. The gun show was out. <laughs> oh my gracious me! And the cut of them was so hideously unflattering. Scoop neck, scoop back, never went low. None of the beautiful garments that have been since that day invented by ballet dancers. You see most of the beautiful leotards out there. They've all been invented by ballet dancers and many of them, those creatures, but nonetheless, they know this looks beautiful. This makes me feel beautiful. I'm going to be standing in this skimpy little thing for eight hours. I want to feel nice. (laughs) I want to feel like I'm more than just a tank in the corner, you know, muscling through these moves. And that and the fluorescent tube lighting, that is usually in every single studio, mm-hmm. everywhere I've taught in the world, except for one class that I was so happy to take. Oh, sorry, that's not true. The, the work that I did in Munich with the Munich Ballet, they, it was in a converted church. So the ceilings were 30 feet high and there was a, a natural light stained glass window at one end, another one at the other end. And then they had those dropped. I don't know, they might be halogen. But they were those great big sort of, um, they look like a half cup on top, Mm -hmm. an upside down teacup with a bulb underneath. And somehow the lighting was rather soft and it pooled. Mm. So I think that probably to some people they would say it was very imperfect lighting because there was shadow. It was very lovely Mm. (laughs) to have some shadow. Quite romantic. Oh, very much so compared Mm -hmm. to the old fluorescent tubes, which you got to experience. And generally speaking, you have floor to ceiling mirrors. And you are, again, wearing this outfit with your hair scraped back. And as we know, going through puberty, all sorts of marvelous things happen in the body. Much of it to do with the desire to hide one's face because the skin is not always cooperating with us. Um, Certainly to hide one's body because our body is changing at a rapid rate, sometimes overnight. And we're looked down and we don't know whose that is anymore. And also just because it's nice to have some time to just reflect and be quiet in a corner covered in a moo-moo, and that's not what's happening in ballet class. So I was sensitive to that, mm-hmm. and I felt that my own personal experiences and looking around and seeing or feeling the experiences that other people's or people were having needed to be addressed. So I think that really did influence my teaching, mm. my teaching methods hugely.
0: Very affronting mm. Mm.
1: it's a you're confronting mm. <laughs> the effrontery yes and and you're you're being remarked on not only for your physique but your emotional output because that's your expression, and your you're, you're I won't say your intellect, but somehow it feels like your intellect is being constantly tested or critiqued because it's how you pick up exercises. Mm -hmm. So all three of those very important aspects of self are being questioned. And if it's not dealt with in a sensitive, loving manner, yeah, it's, it it is, it's affronting. It's, it's damaging, basically, in my opinion. And I have always felt like that needed to be changed.
0: In... So one thing I've noticed uh, in comparing my ballet training experience with other people's, yeah. uh, now that I work in the professional world, yeah. is uh, just the amount of education around anatomy that we received ah, as students. Wonderful! <laughs> they forgot <We're laughs>
1: about that. <laughs> really? Well, I just wasn't thinking. I I wasn't thinking about it as a separate entity. I guess that's what I mean to say.
0: There are. Body parts I've heard other people describe to me that I know don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> that they funny. learned from their ballet teachers. Oh my goodness, that's which funny! Is a a lovely visualization, mm-hmm. maybe technique in mm-hmm. order to understand certain things. Um, but I'm thinking about you talking about teaching people how to do certain moves, positions. Mm-hmm that weren't particularly made Mm -hmm. on bodies like theirs right and how do you teach how do you how how do you teach something that was built off aesthetics Mm -hmm. or for aesthetics Mm -hmm. That's that's an excellent point that's an excellent point I did I thank you for
1: bringing that up because I that does heavily influence my teaching as well uh anatomically i think that it is imperative that we know as much as we possibly can about our instrument our vessel of of all of our emotions our beautiful uh, i'll call it a a shell because it's just the outer skin and the bones because what our essence is what's filling that i think that if we go around calling it my leg and my my back these generic terms we don't have the same power over our own beings and thereby in many situations can be helpless and grossly vulnerable to greater injury or manipulation or situations in which for instance you brought up teachers that are making up body part names because maybe in their mind they've got so strongly uh, fixated an aesthetic that they want to fulfill so they're going to talk about the something that will likely lead to the success of this movement Mm. when I feel that it is far better an approach to explain to a student with a lot of visuals. I use a lot of visuals and sometimes I, I create metaphors that are, do you remember the cave that I talk about the hip socket as a cave? Cause mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do is we start with an elementary sort of visual so that we can then talk about, this is what this is really called. This is what to some extent is really going on because then I feel like if you start with a visual, then already you've got your student there they're in that moment. And then when you give them the empowerment of giving them the names of what they're dealing with, I feel that especially a lot of more intellectually cerebrally minded students can stand in their bodies without disliking them right away, because they're analyzing them. Mm -hmm. And they're not analyzing them in that uh, critical aesthetic again, they're analyzing them as, Oh, she's talking about my femur. She's talking about how it sits into my hip socket and my hip socket and and so on and so on. And I feel as though not only do I love learning and I, I think that I wouldn't want a race car driver to drive the one of the most, you know, finely tuned machines on the planet and not know how to put the gas in or how to change the oil or change the tires. I don't want to ask people to finely tune their beautiful instruments and not have a bloody clue what it's all called or how it works or basically how it's put together. And that led me to those anatomy classes as well that I taught because I just felt let's make it fun so that people aren't just overwhelmed. Because as my dad told me once when I was younger, he says, you know, you shouldn't be teaching them all that stuff. You don't need to worry about that. That's all Latin. Well, Latin's a dying language, and I thought, well, for a dead language, it sure is being used a lot in the medical profession and the law profession. I don't think either one of those are dying too quickly. So, I stubbornly stayed on my course of uh, believing that I, I, I have, I err towards the side of let me give you way more than maybe you've ever been given before, and what you take of it will be perhaps a surprise to both of us, and hopefully mostly a surprise to yourself. But I'm not going to go around deciding who gets what knowledge, and assuming that everyone is going to only be able to reach a certain level of mediocrity. I I don't believe in pushing them above what their comfort zone is, but I just believe in providing a conduit for you to reach what heights you want to reach. And one of them is knowing a lot about anatomy in your body, I guess. In doing so, I hope that you now being a professional dancer have been in moments where maybe you're being asked to do something choreographically by someone who's probably a brilliant creative mind, or at least an interesting creative mind who can't explain what they want you to do. And you're able to manifest that in an intellectual way, knowing what your body parts can do, and you give them something and they say, yes! And you know fully that that is not what they originally asked for, but you made it work on your body in a fashion that they love it. That's what I always wanted to be able to do for dancers. So if you've been in that situation, then I succeeded. Yahoo.
0: (laughs) Should we call up my employer? (laughs) Especially when they've asked for something maybe I couldn't do. And so I gave them something that I could do, but was even better. Right. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Nice way of looking at
1: it. (laughs) Because a lot of the time when people ask for something, we're going back to that word, the aesthetic again, they see in their mind this thing that's always quite spectacular. But truly, when one looks at it, it has limitations. And I don't mean just that only certain body types on the planet can do that. It has limitations. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the same thought and caring and an approach that another, like you just said, more beautiful, interesting approach does. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to take anything away from those bodies that are created just by fluke. All the cells come together in such a fashion. But I think that it's, there's a really wonderful, there's a wonderful beauty, intelligence, and overall authenticity that comes from having to work to find that aesthetic on you personally. Mm -hmm. And I think that that creates really individual dancers that have something that can't be copied, which I love so so much. Because I think that in in being that for yourself it allows for a greater doorway for you to express in that fashion, which of course makes you an artist and makes it this is Alyssa Hansen dancing. This isn't doo doo and fifi, oh there, there there come those names again that I always used to say. <laughs>
0: Dude I doo still use pee-pee. them, Dudu and Fifi. <laughs>
1: I know, they're my go-to when I... When the I'm best se- <laughs> ballet dancers in town. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm seeking names and not ever wanting to use actual students' names. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to end it right there.
0: and <laughs> Fifi. <laughs> it makes me think of many things. Um, I do think that the types of bodies or the ways of working that people individually have in their bodies as professionals has changed. Yes. And I yeah, I have to attribute that t- to other teachers that are also like you that have mm-hmm. been educating people about their bodies mm-hmm. uh first and foremost sort of as this entry point into dance. I mean yeah. not solely not to take away from I don't mean to take away from the artistry. I don't mean that. I just mean um versus aesthetics just solely oh absolutely yeah
1: i mean if we uh, this is a whole other argument unto itself but it is an athletic endeavor and what you are asking your body to do albeit leads to an aesthetic look or a artistic approach or an artistic um oh i guess conduit really because it opens up so much expression on, on that vein but you are still doing very athletic things with your body. And nowadays, with dance having such a beautiful amalgamation of so many influences, so that, for instance, even I would say only classical ballet remaining pure, in that it still remains as classical and ceiling and such. But those classical ballet dancers and those classical ballet companies are expecting their dancers to be able to do contemporary ballet because. Uh, No company can subsist nowadays on classical ballet alone. Mm -hmm. They don't have the, there's not enough audience. It's too, uh, as my dad always said, it's too elitist. It's like looking at a bunch of waifs up on stage, miles and miles away from you doing something that, you know, you don't really understand. You have no idea how hard it is and you don't care. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't speak to the general populace. So nowadays with all the contemporary ballet companies with these dancers who have these exquisite athletic prowess and this beautifully honed, athletically uh, vibrant body type, it's now exciting the audience on so many different levels and much of it visceral because they look and watch a muscle moving and they say, wow, they can, somewhere inside them, you can almost watch audience members just start to squirm because they can feel that. Even if they still don't understand all that went in to make that particular position or that movement or that's that segment of movements I feel that it is it is important that teachers address the fact that they are not creating dancers to look like everyone else they're trying to create dancers to look like themselves and to do the vocabulary and the the oh I, I struggle with this word but the 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 integrity and the purity of the technique as well as they can mm. but as well as they can not as well as the figure drawing in plate 2101 in the great big ballet book of aesthetics can I'm do it
0: so glad I've never seen that book yes I know <laughs> I've I referenced that a lot in my life haven't I
1: <laughs> I think it's because over the years I've seen many many ballet books that actually do have figure drawings mm-hmm. to teach a position and I think that is absurd And then when they show people doing the position, they'll show an unbelievably naturally physically gifted professional dancer doing the position. So you're looking at it as a 14 year old saying, well, might as well just, you know, I'm hanging out my pointe shoes now. Or else they'll show a 10 year old that -hmm. came out of the womb again with one of those creature bodies that does it unthinkingly, unknowingly and literally as being asked but they haven't yet gone through puberty. They haven't yet found how they feel about things. There's just so many other things in question there. So, yeah, I bear umbrage of that particular approach.
0: It does make me think about um, emotional expression inside of dance. If you're able to focus on the doing inside of your dancing rather than being concerned with what it looks like right, or producing which is very much so a classical ballet yeah. sentiment, expressing what you should be expressing in right. that moment and replicating right. it um, and able to feel your own body and your own expression right. inside of that moment. Do you know, can I can I just interject there? Because
1: although I 100% agree that that was something dictated by classical ballet, now being involved in uh, this multi-genre approach to training, it is... It is asked. You remember as a young person that with jazz pieces, you'd be told, put on your face, you know, this Mm -hmm. one's a happy one. This one's a tragic one. This one's a, how about lyrical numbers with the big sad face? And Mm -hmm. I feel like, although, again, these are young people doing something they love to do and being asked to do something and trying to please and trying to fulfill what's being asked of them. And I take none of that away. At the same time, is that authentic? What are they actually feeling in that moment? How much of that do they own? How much of that do they take away? How much of that is their body doing that movement? And how much of it is what they learned for the last three months to do for that small three-minute time period?
0: So, because I, I dance training feels like it's changing in a lot of ways. The world feels like it's changing in a lot of ways. But... Yeah, in dance training, there's so much pleasing, achieving, trying to achieve some sort of excellence or please the authority figure that's in front of you. Um, How do I feel about that? Well, what what does someone do if they don't have someone in their life that's um, educating them in a certain way? Or how do you get out of that mindset mindset right it's a very
1: hard question it is a it is a hard question and, and it's one that i i actually am confronted with a lot and i always say that i like to err on the side of caution that every person in a in a teaching position and in a in a pedagogical position in a guide position has great intentions And I know the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but their intentions are to educate. Their intentions are to pass on uh, either the gift or the lessons or the, the things that they hold dear to their heart and to their mind and to their own education. I feel that I want to believe that everyone goes in with that desire and that unfortunately along the way, a lot of it becomes regurgitation. A lot of it becomes repeating mistakes. So if 30 years ago, people were taught to do it this way because this way is right, with no question, well then if the teacher 30 years, the young student becomes the 30, 40-year-old teacher that many years later, and they just repeat that mistake for a whole other young group of people, that's how I feel. I have seen time and again mistakes repeated. In those moments when I'm being asked the question, well, how do we deal with that? Or how do we deal with it when we're in a uh, a situation being asked to do warm-ups that we know compromise our physical health? I always say respect is key. It is absolutely paramount and key because the the field of the arts, I find, does attract a lot of people with a great deal of sensitivity, vulnerability, and insecurity. And that a lot of people in positions of power aren't there because they feel filled with this incredible sense of empowering self-confidence they're there because they've learned and they've they've educated themselves or they've they've acquired education or they've had a professional career and now they're going to pass it on and become doesn't mean that those insecurities are gone and i feel like um when i'm talking with young people oftentimes they are simply asking the question well how do we do this so that we're not hurting ourselves but that we don't hurt anyone's feelings or that we don't um offend somebody or You know, get in trouble. That's another one I hear a lot. I say, well, if at all possible, if it is that type of teacher student relationship where you can ask a question and it not be perceived as a challenge, then ask a question that says, "Um, I, I think I understand what you're asking of me. I was wondering if you could help me achieve it on my body. So that you're inviting them to work, but I say, I, I'm very clear with them, I said, make sure that you read your teachers properly, because there are many teachers that would take that as a direct challenge, mm-hmm. basically a defiance. Oh, you you want to see if I know my stuff, you know, or, and, and then there's that that defensive mechanism and that insecurity that comes up and just says, well, do it like I said, mm-hmm. you know, or do it like so-and-so's doing it, which of course is not teaching, uh, in my opinion. So... i I say that and then i say okay and if that's not possible if you are greeted with someone who will be offended then listen nod your head respectfully say thank you if that's your training and many many uh students i notice nowadays are being trained to say thank you every time they're given a correction yeah i know i lift my eyebrows a bit too because i give a lot of corrections so (laughs) I sometimes I feel like saying, "Okay, it's okay. You don't have to keep saying thank you." Mm. But they but that's just their manners and their polite. And I'm not going to take that away because it's better that than complete ignoring and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, taking things for granted. So, in those circumstances, express that 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 sense of polite manners and that thank you, and show that you are attempting to achieve what is being asked of you. And then I always say to them. Keep at the back of your mind and in the depth of your heart that it's your body that you're going to walk out of here with. It's your body that you want to have do this in three months, three years, 30 years, 13 years. It's your body that you have to live with. So if you hurt it in in an attempt to please someone who may not be able to reach that understanding of how your body isn't able to do what they're asking, then you're the one paying for it. So I I just, I guess in a sense, I try to give them an intelligent empowerment so that it's not a defiance. It's not a, well, I'll do it my way. It's a way of saying, try to find out if they can help you do it your way. And if they aren't capable of doing that, then know deep down that the most important thing is maintaining the sanctity and the integrity of the teacher-student relationship without offending or disrespecting, but protect yourself. Because you're, you're the only one going to bed with yourself at night in your body, mm. you know, you're the one laying there either in pain or not. And the amount of injuries that I see on young people nowadays is mind numbing. It, it, it is it astounds me. I did not get my first injury till I was 17 mm. and it was a simple tear from overuse and a calf muscle that healed seven days later. And now I'm seeing 11 year olds with injuries that surpass the imagination and that curtail careers um, and then it just goes from there. And I feel that there there comes a time where that ethical dilemma of pleasing versus being true to oneself, not only oneself as a person, but oneself as a physique, I, the dilemma should be a no brainer. Mm-hmm. It really should. And I feel that I know that this would be thought of as politically incorrect to a lot of people but I really feel that those ethics need to come from home that the feeling that your parents empower you to know that you know I don't know anything about dance and I, I believe you know I've, t- I've brought you to this school i brought you to these teachers but that I feel that if a parent brings someone to a school and they have a bad feeling in their stomach with the way the teacher is talking either to their students while they're teaching or to them or just in general listen to those instincts you aren't you aren't jumping the gun or being a helicopter parent or being too fussy or too worried if you don't feel right about the way someone else in a position of power is teaching your child and i maybe i just feel exceptionally strongly about that and always have but i my parents knew nothing about dance but my dad instilled in me a very young age "Uh, you know best about your own body and your own self. And I trust you to know best. And he was grossly, and I use that word very carefully, openly vocal about teaching that was done to me and how inadequate it was on many academic levels and most academic levels. And in the sense of ballet that my, my true one teacher was so filled with integrity and genuine caring and that that meant the world to him because he could see that. And that even though maybe someone else would give more pyrotechnics or more razzmatazz or more pushing, that he rested easy with that. And my mom was so involved in the sense that she was constantly listening to what I had to say, asking me, watching my reactions, asking questions. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Because we we had an environment at home in which I... I had opportunity to dialogue, dialogue equally all the time. I wasn't expected to kowtow to a certain quietude, or um, you know, you're the child, you you don't know. I know better, and and that I guess that always gave me the feeling that if I was ever in a circumstance where I felt compromised, they'd have my back. Mm. So I think that's really important, and I feel that a lot of parents nowadays want so much for their children, so much too much that they don't listen to the children anymore and they're not and when i say listen i don't always mean listening to their words because oftentimes the kids will say i'm fine it's great because they know that's what their parents need to hear and because they love their parents and their parents love them i'm not saying that there's not love in the household but i'm sometimes i'm just saying sometimes you just have to listen to your inner instincts and if you're looking at your child and they're saying they're fine and they're wiping tears away day in and day out they're not fine so find out why and maybe it's just simply a question of being misunderstood. Maybe it's a question that you found out your child is incredibly sensitive. Maybe you found out that your child is going through a great deal in their, in their inner being or in their personal life, separate of what they're trying to acquire and on the technical front. But you'll never know unless you're involved. And I feel like constantly just trusting the powers that be is just certainly not my way. I, I welcome I welcome, and you know this, because I used to do this when I, when you were younger and I was a younger teacher, I welcome parents to come watch. I welcome parents to, to question me or ask me about why I do things a certain way. And there have been countless times in which parents have, you know, watched from afar or, or maybe just peeked in now and again and, and given me their feedback or their comments one way or the other, because I, I'm not hiding anything. And I don't feel like I need to have the door closed to teach their child properly. That uh, Why would I need the door closed? Except for the, in, you know, the inevitable environmental overspill from other classes. That's the only reason I close the door. It's not to try and keep the parents out. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think I feel like I kind of went off on a tangent there, but
0: yes. No, no, we've been talking about authority figures yeah. and, and also, you know, this is sort of an... A funny era in dance very much so you know the dance moms yes sort yes. of thing and so yeah I think there's a a lot of questions around these things. can I
1: also just say one thing and it's somewhat humorous please don't say we if you're not the one in class and you're not the one doing the solo and you're not the one doing your exam and you're not the one putting on the tights please don't say we mm. i am very sensitive to that as a teacher when i hear a parent and oftentimes it's with the again the best of intentions and the most open hearts and the most loving parents but they'll say we and they are not in the class and i i their younger children don't notice but the teenagers do and it bugs them because mm-hmm. they are the ones that are dancing. They are the ones doing the solo. They are the ones in that moment. And I think the, the we word somehow takes away their personal empowerment of that experience and also takes away their feeling of ownership of what they're actually feeling in the moment. And then I think it also makes them feel like their parents are more involved than maybe they really are, which
0: leads me back to what I was saying before. I'm very thankful that I didn't have a father that was saying we are working on our switch splits today. <laughs> Thank you, Dad, if you listen to this. I'm so grateful for Thank that. Thank you,
1: Mr. Hansen. I, too, appreciate that you were not talking about how you are working on your switch splits side by side with Alyssa.
0: Still working on them. Still working on them to this day. <laughs> okay, on that note, let's take a break. Let's take a break. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you.